See, all of our hope comes from the promise that this ordinary and courageous act of these two women created space for healing for all the people of God. And ultimately, that same Passover that was celebrated was being celebrated by Jesus as He prepared Himself to stand for what was true. To risk everything for the sake of those who needed healing. And at great cost to Him where He gave His life for you and me, He invites us every single day to find in Him the courage to do what is right when we want to do what is wrong. To bring that which is secret and shameful and dark and in private into the light that in Christ we too can be healed and bring others to that same promise. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay because faith is not about having it all figured out and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before He'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Good morning. It's good to be here with you today. Some of you for the first time and some of you for the first time in a really long time. It's good to see you. We are in the series called Nearly Nameless, looking at characters in the Bible who almost didn't make it. People who we don't know much about, but the tiny little bit that had them included in Scripture is worth celebrating and remembering. Last week, we considered Lois and Eunice, these two women that we only know of for one verse, and it's a verse in which they are praised for the faith that they imparted to their son and their grandson. See, the truth is, oftentimes, the really big godly moments, the incredible impact we can make in our life does not come from really big godly moments. Most of our impact in changing lives comes in the daily little habits we create. Let's be honest. Anybody in here a little bit like me and your doctor says, maybe your cholesterol is a little bit too high. Anyone. You don't get high cholesterol from eating one greasy cheeseburger. You get it from a habit of eating unhealthy things. And I know there's also some genetic things that's completely outside of your control, but the things you can control contribute over time to something that's not good. But in the same way, you don't suddenly have a healthy lifestyle because you ate a singular salad. This is my problem with dieting. If I eat one salad, I think I'm healthy. I can go and do whatever I please. If I get one night of eight hours of sleep, I justify for the next six months getting way too little sleep because, you know, I did it one time. It's okay. But life consists of the everyday ordinary moments that when we purposefully use them to connect with God, become extraordinary things in the long term. But today, as we look at two women who almost didn't make it into the Bible, we're going to look at two women who it was not in their everyday ordinary decisions that they really shined for God. It was actually in some really remarkably dangerous decisions. 
Times where their faith was at odds with the world around them and their faith caused them to do something that could have actually cost them their lives. But it changed everything. If you would like to follow along, today we will be in the book of Exodus, beginning in chapter 1. If you're using the blue Bibles in the pews in front of you or along the walls upstairs, this is on page 56. Now, maybe you know the story of Exodus. The people of God have gone down to Egypt because there's a famine and they're struggling to live. God, through a man named Joseph, miraculously gives them favor with the Pharaoh of the land, the one who's in charge, and he provides for them in their time of need. And they settle and they get comfortable and they begin to grow and multiply as a great nation. And if you're familiar with the story of Exodus, this Growth happens to such an extent that a future king realizes they could be a threat and begins to enslave them and punish them and put them to work in harsh conditions in the hopes that they will never rebel against them. And ultimately, God raises up a man named Moses who in of himself is kind of a failure. But nonetheless, God uses Moses to lead His people out of slavery and into freedom with a promise of all of God's blessings to come in a land flowing with milk and honey, a land overwhelmingly good and positive, a land which ultimately Moses himself never gets to enter into. The story of the Exodus becomes for the people of God the pivotal moment for all the rest of their faith. And they celebrate it every single year in the celebration of the Passover. Perhaps you're familiar with that a week-long celebration every single year to remember that God passed over them when the angel of death came and He rescued them not only from death, but from slavery and from all of the things they were bound in and He delivered them into a life with Him. This same Passover is what Jesus was celebrating when He gave this meal of communion that we will be eating together later a meal of remembrance and celebration of all of God's faithfulness thus far. But the story of Exodus nearly didn't happen. And that's what we're going to look at today. If you will read with me, well, not necessarily out loud, but follow along, all right? Exodus chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. And the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. And all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipreth, the other Puah, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. 
but if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? And let the male children live. The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives. And the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. It's just a remarkable story. We're out of fear. The king of Egypt commands the women responsible for assisting in childbirth. If it is a man, a male being born, if it's going to be a boy, in the process of delivering this child, make sure the child dies. And then you can wash your hands and go, I'm sorry, the baby died in childbirth. There's nothing I could do about it. The Pharaoh gives this command to, ki- to kill every boy born. Maybe already that's ringing a bell. It sounds like another command that comes later after Jesus is born. And there's a command to kill every child male under the age of two for there's a, a fear that a king was coming to take their place. Here again, fear leads the people responsible to do really horrific things. It's your job to make sure every child that is a male dies and every female lives. But now here's the dilemma for these women. If they honor the Pharaoh and do what he asks, they will be guilty before God. But if they don't do what he asks, it's not only possible, but very probable that they will be put to death by the Pharaoh and he will have somebody else do what they ask. See the dangerous and challenging place they're stuck in. There's a little bit of Hebrew here that I find super fascinating I want to share though. It says here, when you serve, or it it says uh, uh, in verse 15, then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named uh, Shifra, and the other was Pua. When we read this phrase, he said to the Hebrew midwives, our natural English reading of this would be the wives or the midwives who were also Hebrew women. But it's possible in Hebrew that this is not implying Hebrew women who are midwives, but women who are midwives to the Hebrews. There's a slight difference there. You see, what I really love in this story of these two women is it's possible they were God-fearing Jewish women trying to do the right thing. It's also possible they were God-fearing Egyptian women trying to do the right thing. And I love that difference and that possibility because this is all we know about them. There's no other place in Scripture where they're referenced. There's no other place where we know more of their story. But if they were Hebrew women seeking to do the right thing by God, little trivia for you, the commandment, thou shalt not murder, when does that show up in Scripture? After this. 
They don't have the written law of God saying, here's what you should and should not do. But they understand who God is. He's this Creator who is the author of all life. And because He's the Creator, all life comes from Him. And as a result, all life is important. Even before they're given a command, go and do these things, and don't do these things. If they're Hebrew women, they see that this God we serve truly is remarkable and everything matters. Even a small child. But if they're Egyptian women, it's perhaps an even more remarkable thing. See, if they were Egyptian women, their God as Egyptians was likely the Pharaoh himself. What he spoke and what he said was as if God himself had spoken. In fact, many Egyptians worshipped the Pharaoh as God among many other gods, one of many. And it's possible if these women were Egyptian women who were responsible for serving the Hebrew women, that they saw that this man who was thought to be God was actually not good and not worth following. I said, it's worth risking our lives to save these children because that is what's right to do. And it wasn't just losing their life. They could have lost their whole livelihood and been kicked out of the community. They could have lost all of their family who said, what have you done against our God, the Pharaoh? How have you rebelled against him? But they did the right thing anyway at a potentially great personal cost. I love this story because when the the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the male children live. And so the king calls them to task. He says, why are you doing this? You should be killing these children like I commanded. Why are you not honoring me? And I just wish I could be a fly in the room as they respond, right? These Hebrew women, they're just not like Egyptians. They're super vigorous. A.K.A. they just have babies way too fast and there's nothing we can do about it. Like we show up and the babies are already there. We can't kill them at that point because they'd know that we purposely put them to death. Maybe that's true about Hebrew women or maybe not. Maybe it's actually a God-honoring thing to lie in a time of saving a life. Interesting ethical question for us to discuss another time. But I just love almost the snarkiness like, what are we to do? These women, you know, you know how they are. They just pop out babies and that's, that's it. There's nothing we can do to stop it. But the Pharaoh, he's frustrated. And this is what happens afterwards. So God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. That one verse there for me leads me to believe they probably were not Hebrew women, but were Egyptian women. Now, I I can't say for sure. That's just my opinion. But the reason I think they were probably Egyptian women is the reward of their faithfulness is God blesses them with the very thing they could have lost by dishonoring Him. The very thing they should have lost by not honoring him. Their families and everything else would have turned against him, but because they did what was right in the eyes of God and not what was right in the eyes of man, God blesses them with the very thing they stood to lose. I think that's a phenomenal thing. 
And I love these two women because what happens afterwards, when Pharaoh fails to secretly kill the children, he comes up with a new plan. If we can't do this in secret, we will do this in public. Throw every male child into the river and let them drown. And if you know how the story goes, there's one particular male child who is placed in a basket in that river and is rescued by the daughter of the Pharaoh herself. A boy named Moses who goes on to lead the people in this deliverance from evil and freedom from slavery. See, there's a temptation, I believe, to think that sin that is done in secret is okay. Because who knows? These women could have secretly put all of these children to death. But they chose to do what was honorable anyway. And when we don't do sin in secret, when we refuse to believe secret sin is acceptable, it will always bring sin to light publicly. And when our sin is brought to light publicly, there is an opportunity through that for God to bring redemption and salvation. So the problem, I think, for many of us, we are never going to be asked, most likely, to kill children in the name of God. We're probably never going to be asked to do something that we would say, yeah, obviously that's wrong. But we certainly will be tempted on a regular basis to think that private secret sin doesn't really matter and to be afraid of public sin. But the truth is, when our sin comes to light, when we're vulnerable and honest enough to say, this is my failing, or even these are the failings of others, specifically that they're pushing on me and trying to get me to do wrong, when we stand for what is true and what is right at great personal cost, we create space in our own world and in the lives of those around us for God to bring His healing and His reconciliation. We create space by bringing to light that which is in secret. And I don't mean we should do so in an angry, judgmental way. These women aren't going to the Hebrews saying, you have no idea what Pharaoh told us to do. They're simply doing what is right because it's worth doing. It's not our job to seek to bring everybody else's sin into the public, but it is our job to do what is right when nobody's looking. And it's our job to honor God even at a great personal cost. And it's our, God, our job to believe in and to practice what is true even when others don't. And in doing so, we create space to invite them into healing. Sometimes faith happens in the everyday ordinary moments, but other times faith actually requires you to step outside of your comfort and to do something that may be really dangerous. Like when your friend or your family member is caught up in an addiction you know is killing them. Can you sit quietly and let them die? Or can you in love come to them and say, this is killing you, let me help you. When your family's falling apart because the secret sin that has been there for generations perhaps continues to divide with all sorts of sexual immorality or bitterness or malice. 
Can you lovingly bring it to light knowing it could cost everything? This is not who we are made to be. God has something better for us. When the world around you challenges you and expects you to believe something that is simply not true, something that is simply not right, to do something that is simply not good, can you take that courageous act and say, this could cost me everything, but I'll stand for what is true anyway. See, all of our hope comes from the promise that this ordinary and courageous act of these two women created space for healing for all the people of God. And ultimately, that same Passover that was celebrated was being celebrated by Jesus as He prepared Himself to stand for what was true. To risk everything for the sake of those who needed healing. And at great cost to Him where He gave His life for you and me. He invites us every single day to find in Him the courage to do what is right when we want to do what is wrong. To bring that which is secret and shameful and dark and in private into the light that in Christ we too can be healed and bring others to that same promise. Will you pray with me? God, sometimes our faith happens in the mundane ordinary. And other times we need to step out of our comfort and risk losing everything. To do what is right when nobody else sees it. To speak the truth and love when it could cost us our friendships. God, sometimes our faith requires us to take a firm no against the things of this world because we believe in all the things You are doing. Help us today to not feel the safety in keeping sin secret, but to bring it to light. Help us to trust that when we are at risk of losing everything we've worked for, our reputation and our friendships, our families, our jobs, whatever it may be, God, may we trust that somehow You will provide and as you did with these two midwives, as you gave them everything they could have lost and so much more, may we trust that whatever you give in our faithfulness will always be enough. For you have given your Son in your faithfulness. Teach us to trust in this today. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue our worship, we continue by collecting an offering. Here in this place, we believe an offering is an opportunity to trust God in everything. So if you're somebody who finds yourself not really sure how to trust God and you want to grow in that, one way you can grow is by giving something that He's given to you back to Him. And so when we collect an offering, it's not an obligation, it's not a requirement, it's an opportunity to say, God, you are good and I trust you even with my finances. And so if you're somebody who came prepared to give today or you would like to give and you prefer cash or check, you can do so by placing that in the black boxes on the wall as you exit. And those little connect cards with ways we can connect with you or pray with you, you can place those in those boxes as well. And if you're somebody who prefers to do everything online, you can give online at thepointknox.com. 
by clicking the little teal button in the bottom corner. However you give and whatever you give, know this. We don't give to get God's love, but because we already have it. Thank you. Well, every week we welcome your questions, and I do my best to respond. Blake, what questions came in today? Yeah, we've got quite a handful today. The first one is, do you have any Bible studies on weekdays? Do we have any weekday Bible studies? Not at the moment. However, starting in the fall, we'll have quite a few, uh, especially connect groups and communities that will be meeting in people's homes and a couple that will happen here. In fact, we're going to have a youth group that's starting in the fall, uh, Sundays after church for three out of four Sundays a month. So if you have a junior high or high school student, that'll be something, a really great opportunity to grow in faith. And uh, if you would like to do a midweek Bible study, uh, come talk to me, and we would love to either help you start one or find somebody who would like to do one with you. All right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Next question is, what is the difference between a talent and a gift that the Bible speaks of? How do we tap into our true gifts? A talent and a gift. I don't know, in my opinion, if there is much of a difference. Uh, If I had to put a difference on it, I would say both come from God as something He gives. Uh, Talent is something you may have to work at in order to grow and, and see the fruit of. So you may be a talented singer, but if you don't ever actually practice singing, it's a gift that kind of goes to waste. Um, or doesn't reach its full potential. So that's how I would distinguish it, right? A talent is still a gift from God, but is one that you have to work to develop, whereas uh, things that aren't talents may just be something you have naturally that he seems to have given you without ever trying. Cool. So next question is, why would a loving God allow this love to be taken away? I prayed for this love, and now everything is so unsure. I'm not sure which love you're referring to, but this... This life is filled with all kinds of grief and pain. So if it's a relationship that's lost or a a person you love that is no longer here, perhaps because of death, I don't know the answer to why it fell apart. But I do know the answer, what is God doing about it? And what He's doing about it is He's given His Son who is actively going to restore all things. And so while we walk through a lot of pain and grief right now, we can grieve not as those without hope, but with hope in a God who will make all things right one day. My kids have a kid's Bible, and in it there's a phrase that I really like the way they they word this. They describe all that Jesus is doing as making all sad things come untrue. Right? Right now the sad that we feel in grief and loss is real, and one day that will no longer be real. So if this is you, since I don't know who texted this in, and you're grieving a loss of a love right now, please reach out online or come talk to me, and I would love to meet with you and encourage and comfort you and just listen to the pain you're going through right now, okay? The next question is, how do you know when to speak up and be like, no, Pharaoh, that's wrong, versus quietly doing what is right? It feels easier to quietly do what's right. It also feels easy to speak not out of love when calling someone out. I think that's a good point. Um, What I love with these midwives is they didn't say to Pharaoh, we're not going to do it. They just did what was right. And Pharaoh took note and said, hey, how come you're doing this? So most of the time, I think the best thing to do is just do what is right. And God will bring it to light and reveal it to others. Sometimes we need to speak that truth to others even when we don't want to. Like Moses comes along and actually goes to Pharaoh and says, Pharaoh, what you're doing is wrong. Stop this. Um, 
I think when it comes to calling somebody else out or speaking directly against something they're saying is true or, or doing, something that's really important to keep in mind in order for us to do it in love is can I love the person even if they have a position I think is wrong? Because if we can't love that person, you're probably not going to call them out in love. And so first focus on learning and listening and getting to know and allow for God to open the door for that conversation. Uh, it's probably not the way you need to lead the conversation. Like, hey, let me just come out and tell you why you're wrong about the things you think or do or believe. That's probably not helpful. Um, just look for opportunities to demonstrate the truth and sometimes to speak the truth. All right. uh, the next question is, how do I get rid of my anger towards God? How do I get rid of my anger towards God? First, why do you need to get rid of it? It's okay to be angry at God. Have you ever read Lamentations or have you ever read most of the Psalms? David's angry at God a lot. I think what we need to learn to do is not to let go of our anger towards God, but to trust in Him even with our anger. Um, so how do you learn to let go of it? I think to start, be honest with Him and say, God, I'm really angry. And like, did you know in your prayers you can say all the angry, hateful things you want to say that you shouldn't say in front of other people, and God's big enough to handle it? I don't know if you knew that. Like, He can handle all of that hurt. And so start by letting Him handle all of that hurt. Most of the Psalms that are filled with David's anger towards God, he ends the Psalms with some kind of, and I don't understand it, God, but I trust that you're still good. I trust that you're still God, even though right now my life is miserable. And so let it all out, and then just acknowledge, I don't necessarily like you right now, but I trust that you're still who you say you are. That'll begin to help create space in your life to see where he is faithful in the midst of the things that you're angry at him about. Uh, just one more, looks like, uh, and it's not a question, but it's a comment. It says, whomever moved the piano to the stage gets a cheeseburger. And let me tell you what, I moved it about two feet this morning, and I think I broke a sweat. It's, it's heavy. <laughs> so, let me tell you about this piano. A few weeks ago, we hosted the Joy of Music School. They wanted to do an annual recital for all of their students, and they said, can we bring in a piano? And I said, sure, you guys can bring in a piano, Absolutely. And they said, do you guys want to have a piano? And we said, maybe, we're not sure yet. And they said, how about we bring it in, we'll pay movers to bring it in, and we'll leave it there, and when you decide you don't want it any longer, then we'll pay movers to come move it out of here. That sounds like a great deal to me. So this is a lovely piano on loan for as long as we would like from the Joy of Music School. And uh, we didn't have to move it in, just a few feet over. So thanks for breaking the sweat today, Blake. Looks like that was, a, that was all it on questions. Awesome. As always, you can ask questions any time of the week. That number's on thepointknox.com. If I see your questions between now and maybe Wednesday, I'll try to respond on social media. If not, I'll respond to them next week on Sunday morning. Uh, you can also just come talk to me directly. That's less anonymous, but uh, I'll gladly sit and listen and do my best to respond anytime. So with that, I have an announcement before we go. Uh, maybe some of you remember about six months ago, I stood up here and I shared that Adam Moore had decided to step away from the seminary program. If that sounds familiar to you, let me just share with you a really good and exciting thing. After this six-month leave of absence and some time for physical and emotional, even some mental healing that he was in need of, some time of rest, he is returning to the seminary from that leave of absence. 
And so beginning in June, in just two weeks, he's going to become a vicar here again, which is a fancy term for a pastor intern. Yeah. And so you will see him continuing to do some of the pastoral things as he learns that process going forward. Though hopefully we've both learned in this process how to do it better, that we can avoid that burnout and exhaustion that he reached last time. So if you will be praying for Adam and his family as he returns to this, that'd be awesome. And now with that, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.